You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum and kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum and kick all trouble out the door. Kick him 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 out the Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au at your leisure. My name is Joseph Toscano. Kelly Whitworth is the person who makes us all sound brilliant. She's a uh, technical whiz. I'm a 21st century Luddite. And Kelly has put her hand in the barrel. She's gone all the way to Queensland and pulled out Fiona McWitter. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> McWitter, I know, I know. <laughs> um, no, I do this on purpose. I mean, look, you're going to be with us for 56 minutes and um, I'm the champion of dad jokes, all right? <laughs> Oh, so is, so is the person who put me up for this, so... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Have I got competition there in Queensland? Who's <laughs> yeah, this? Who's this person who put you up there? Who put you uh, up? That, that oh. would be my husband, Craig, who is also the master of dad jokes. Really? Hmm. Was he born in Queensland? No. <laughs> well, I, well, I was, I was. Where were you, where were you born? Me? Yeah. I was born in Queensland. Where? 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 In St. George. Where's that? St. George is at west, um, southwest of Mm. the state, in the bush. Are you one of these um, people with crow feet and dry skin from all the exposure to the sun, are you? No, I've I've actually moved around quite a bit, so I've just sort of ended up back up this way. (laughs) Ah, right. So can you tell us what year you were born? You don't have to, you know. 72, great year that one. Yeah, it was a great year. I could tell you what I was doing in 72. <laughs> it was, I, was, I was 21, so that gives you some idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes, we won't go. I remember May at 21. <laughs> oh, we'll ask you about that later on. I mean, is Craig listening? Because I wouldn't want him to, you know, be uh, be worried about your background, Fiona. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 he's, he's got headphones, he's actually working from home, but he's got his headphones on doing his right. thing. <laughs> right, oh, is he? All right, so he'll rush in and pull the telephone off you. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was it like growing up as a young 
little person in uh, St. George in Queensland in the uh, 70s. I wasn't there for very long, so we went from there to Caboolture where my brother was born and right. then we moved to Victoria and probably my earliest memories would be rural Victoria. Uh, where in rural Victoria? Sea Lake. Oh, that's a lovely place, isn't it? It was a great place to grow up. We had so much fun. Apart from the mosquitoes. <laughs> We've got a lot here and sandflies, so... Oh, yeah? <laughs> so where are you now? I'm in Rockhampton. Rockhampton, right. Yeah. No, it's an amazing place to see, like, especially in the 70s. You would have had old Holdens coming up occasionally and... Yeah, the rally, Mally Rally. Yeah, yeah. At Green Lake and, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, so where'd you go to primary school? Sea Lake Primary. What, 15 kids there? There was, a, there was a few kids, probably about, yeah, there was more than 15, but it was great. <laughs> so was it, was it one of these uh, uh, little classes that had kind of prep to grade six in it, or was there a few classes? No, there was a few classes. Right, yeah. right. Have you, got, yeah. have you got any friends still from that period? Um, I do know people from that period still, yeah. Um, people that were family friends we're still in touch with, right. but they've all sort of moved away and that as well. But, yeah. So, so what, what were your parents doing in Sea Lake? So Dad was the postmaster and Mum worked on the exchange. Ooh, so she listened to all the conversations, did she? Uh, she said she never did, but, <laughs> like, we used to go, I used to go and help. Yes. And, um, yeah, so I may have, as a little girl, heard some things that people were saying, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It was. It wasn't a hot bed of um, extramarital sex, was it? In those days. <laughs> well, I don't think I was old enough to quite understand that, but Mum did tell me to get off quite a few times <laughs> when I put some phone calls through. So I think she might have known some things that were going on. <laughs> yeah, talk about privacy. <laughs> so, did you find in primary school that you kind of were good at anything? Um. Not really, just mainly, oh, probably just um, caring for animals and just caring for the environment. Like I had my own chooks that I would bring inside when it rained mm. and I would, like, you know, really cared for them. I really cared for the trees and I really cared for everything in the garden. Like I made sure everything, the fairies were there and the fairies were looked after and they were looking after all of the things in there. So that was probably the biggest thing for me was, yeah, Looking after nature. Right. So, so do you think, was that something your parents taught you or just something that was innate in you, do you think? A bit of both, I think. Um, Mum and Dad, like our holidays were always very grass sort of going camping and things like that because we didn't really have a whole lot of money. They were great. We got back, you know, swimming in water holes and surrounded by the stars and the trees and all the sounds of nature like it was just beautiful and you meet some really nice people that are off sort of off grid because it wasn't like caravan parks in those days it was you were going to just camp on the banks of the river and things like that that's that's right yeah a lot of people Mm. that was their lifestyle that's where they lived on the bank of the river yeah couldn't afford anywhere else and that's where they lived yeah so how long did you stay at Sea Lake for? Um, until I was in grade six, and then we moved across to Port Augusta in South Australia. That's a big move. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I've been to both places, and uh, I think I prefer Sea Lake to Port Augusta. I found it pretty dull. Yeah, well, it, 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 um, when we first moved there, it changed a lot to when I left. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if I... Yeah, my experience there wasn't the best at school, but, um, yeah, actually it was pretty awful. But um, I had friends outside of school, so that's mm. okay. So, look, I'm going to pry here. This is, you know, prying interview. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us why a young person from Sea Lake, Victoria, who ends up in Port Augusta, gets bullied at high school? Um, I couldn't tell you why. Um, maybe because I'm fabulous. I don't know. Right. Well, I'm, sure um, you're, I'm sure you're fabulous. <laughs> if you're not fabulous, you're not on, you're not on Radical Australia, I can assure you. Well, that. That's right, that's right. Um <laughs> I'm not really sure why why they did it, um, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't very nice. And a lot of the time, it was the boys mm. more than the girls. Like the girls weren't that very good, but the boys were pretty awful. And there was some um, physical and sexual violence as well. Mm. So that mm. wasn't wasn't fun. No, and. Back in those days, like, you know, PTSD or that kind of reaction to a traumatic event wasn't really a thing. And so I got to grade 12 and one of the people who had done that to me was in class. And I finally told my mum, grade nine, mm-hmm. um, so, and we were principal and said, you know, um, can I not be in that class or can we be in different classes or whatever, and I was told to go and sit in the library during the class Right. while so, he so, got to go to class. Yeah, you, you got victimised and he got rewarded. Yep. Mm. So what impact did this have on your marks at the end of grade 12? Oh, hopefully my children that are still at school don't hear it, but I failed. Ah, <laughs> oh, look, it didn't matter then, did it? No. <laughs> it didn't really matter. It's no, not, it's not no. like it wasn't as competitive as it is now. So uh, no, that's right. This is a good, a good reason, and uh, obviously. Uh, so what? Were you stuck in Port Augusta after you failed? Did you kind of fly the coop? No, I um I got into nursing in Wyala and did um, hospital-based training. I just had to pass the aptitude test, which I did. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Wyala and did my enrolled nursing. And entered my very first domestic violence situation. <laughs> well, let's get back to the nursing. <laughs> <laughs> At the uh, what was nursing like in Wyala in those days? Oh, you got to do an awful lot mm. back in the like. There wasn't such a division in roles, and because you're quite regional, um, enrolled nurses could do. So many things and hospital-based training was great in that you'd have a block of study and then you'd go and be able to consolidate everything that you'd learned in the study block mm. with real people. And I found that way of learning was great for me because when I went to go to uni afterwards to do my registered nurse, that was that was tricky. <laughs> yes. So is, is it, was there any... Did you get to do any midwifery at Boyala? Um, not a great deal in my training. I did um, work in um, in maternity back in Port Augusta because I've had to uh, move back to Port Augusta for a couple of years. Right. But um, 
and work at the hospital there, which was cool. Mm. But um, yeah, no, I did a lot of. Like, we got changed around the world a fair bit, so we've had to do medical, surgical, pediatric, emergency, mm. theatre, mm. and that would be rotated throughout the year. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, it was interesting. Well, it was better than school, I assume. Yes. <laughs> you were learning things yes. and you were doing things yes. that were productive. Right. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> mostly. Oops. I won't go down You know, yeah, you know, no, young, leave home, have fun, what? work hard, play hard. <laughs> How would I know that? I'm just, a, I'm just an old man. I mean, I don't know any of that. I've got, I can't remember any of that. <laughs> So uh, you went to Port. You got involved, and it didn't work out. Obviously, yeah, mm-hmm. that's no good. Um, and what you went then back to Port Augusta for a while. Yeah, I had to. Um, I had to. Yeah, I had to get somewhere safe, so I moved back to my parents' house. Right. For a while. Yeah. And what did your parents think of all this? Um, they weren't thrilled. No, no they wouldn't be. Uh, and back in those days, there really wasn't anything you could do about it. Like in the eighties, like eighties, there wasn't anything. You reported things to you know the police, and it was a domestic issue when you had to sort it out yourself and things like that. So yeah, yeah, that was pretty challenging. Like it felt like you had to be almost you know lose your life before someone would pay attention. It was pretty awful. Well, that's right. They'd say, well, I remember those days. I mean, I was a doctor in those days. And they'd say, mm. it's just a domestic, you know, I don't want to go there. It's just a domestic. Let Correct. Let's sort it out. Just a domestic. So, And that's exactly the word that they used. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the laws weren't in place. There were no laws in place, really. And they weren't willing to use the criminal laws, which obviously a domestic assault was a criminal assault. Yep. Mm. That is correct. The only thing I managed to do was um, he stole, the person stole some mags and put them on my car that I was never allowed to use, but he also um, got rid of all of my stuff in the house. So mm. I got him, that's the only thing I could actually put on his record. Right, was, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, think, I think people need to understand that uh, how bad things were in those days. Oh, it was, yeah. I mean, if I, it hadn't have been for friends mm-hmm. who I, I have, there is no doubt in my mind that I would have lost life by the end of that year. No doubt. That's serious. Mm. Yep. Mm. Was this your grand? Pardon? Yeah. So obviously, this is not a good beginning as far as um, life is concerned. You, you had all the high school garbage to deal with and then you had this garbage to deal with so <laughs> so did you did you decide to make a clean break and go somewhere else or did you just hang around Port Augusta? Uh, I've stayed in Port Augusta for a few years and then moved to Queensland up to Rocky for a few years mm. then went to and did Adelaide. You wo- did you work as a nurse at Rocky? A state role nurse? I did. Right. Yep. Um, by then I started um I'd gone and applied to go to, un- to university in Rocky to do my registered nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I started that and um, six weeks in, found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> well, I don't know. 
So a three-year degree ended up taking five years. Five that's years. That's okay, I got there. <laughs> well, you got there. They didn't chuck you out, which was used to happen in the good old days. You got oh, pregnant. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you got married or pregnant, you were out. Was that simple? Correct. You know? Yeah. It's as if you were um, celibate nuns, nurses were supposed to be in the 50s. Yes. <laughs> right. And um, how old is that young chappy or chappess? Um. I have five boys. So five boys. Yeah, and he is twenty-three. He's twenty-three. Oh, you yeah. poor thing! Five <laughs> boys. Yeah, that's a whole lot of food. Well, it's more than a lot of food. There's a lot of sweating and bo, yeah. isn't there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely, there is a lot of that. <laughs> right. So, what was the, what was the university like? Where you uh, did your registered nursing? Uh, it was actually I did it on campus. Um, because I didn't really trust myself to um, to do it at home without sort of, yeah, any motivation or encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very good. I met some really good people at uni and got to study with them, but then um, I, partway through the degree, I transferred to Adelaide and my degree. Right. Uh, any... I don't want to pry, but was there any particular reason you kind of stopped mid-degree and went to Adelaide to finish it? Um, yeah, baby, the, the yeah, a partner at the time moved, right. was down there, so down there. I moved, yeah, mm. and I was pregnant, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but you did finish the degree, you became a registered nurse. I did. Right. So what did you think of Adelaide? Oh, I love Adelaide. You love Adelaide? You must be the only person in... Australia outside Adelaide loves Adelaide. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love the hills. I love the beach. I love the food in the hills. I love, yeah, I love uh, it. So what, what suburb did you live in in Adelaide? Um, I lived in Parafield Gardens, so in the northern part of Adelaide. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, it does have a charm to it. Adelaide. I've been there many times. It does have a charm to it, doesn't it? I used yeah. to I used to love going to Adelaide at Christmas. You know why? Because the only place you get accommodation at the last minute because nobody would go to Adelaide. The last time I did that was in 2017 and it worked like a charm, you know. <laughs> uh, I do like Adelaide. Some of my favourite people live there, so. Oh, right. They're not relatives, are they? No. No, they're not, actually. <laughs> Why are they your favourite people? Oh, one of them was, one of them literally, well, two of them literally saved my life. So, yeah, they're my favourite people. Oh. I wouldn't be doing what I was doing, wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for them. So, yeah. Oh, oh. are you allowed to tell us what they did? Um, so, the my friend actually said to me one day, we're just going to pretend that you're going to work. And I got dropped off, at, he dropped me off at work. Mm-hmm. And she... She came later and I called in sick. I, I told them I was sick and I had to go home. I'd left the bathroom window open just a, min- a little bit because I had to lock every window, every door, every everything when I, when I was being dropped off mm-hmm. to work. So I just left it unlocked a bit. So we prized it open and squeezed, lucky we were skinny, and we squeezed through <laughs> the window to, um, to get in and I just um, grabbed my clothes and just a couple of treasured things, and yeah, got out. Got out. Stayed with 
her for a while, for a little while until he but yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not uh, not a good thing. Are you still... No, but I'm so grateful though. Mm. So grateful because I wouldn't have had the courage to have done it myself. No. And are you still in contact with her? Or? Yep. Oh, surely am. Yeah. That's the trouble with the net worldwide web. You don't have to ring people anymore. You can just <laughs> <laughs> see them on the web. Yeah, oh, we still do. We still talk. I, and I go down. I was going down once a year and I'd spend time with them. And, right. Yeah. So did you so wherever we are. Yeah. That's excellent. Did you leave Adelaide after that or...? Um, I left Adelaide and went up to Alice Springs, had my second baby, and then went back to Adelaide for a bit and then came to Rocky. So how long did you last in Alice Springs? Um, I was there about a year. I loved it. It was so much fun. Can you tell us something about the fun? <laughs> about the fun? Oh, I mean, I mean every, everything you've told us up to now has been, you know, it hasn't been pleasant. A lot of it's been pleasant, but a lot of it hasn't. But you're telling me you had a great deal of fun at Alice Springs. I like this. Yeah, like I, I didn't work as a nurse there. Well, um, that's one good thing, isn't it? Not having to look after sick people. That's always helpful. Yeah. Oh, well, I did work. I did. I, I did do some casual work in emergency, but there, mm. I did some uh, motel motel cleaning right. and um, met some really cool people that I worked with there, who I actually reconnected with recent in the last couple of years, which was amazing. Mm. But um, yeah, it was just so much fun. Like everything that they you go camping and a group of you will go to like you know. Ellery Creek, and or you'd go to one of the gorges, Ormiston Gorge, when there was water. You'd go and camp there, and like everyone would be there. And it was the the Memo Club in Alice Springs would put on like we'd get in sand, white sand, and we'd have a beach party once a year. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was so good because everybody came, and it was all family friendly, and it was just it re- yeah, I really enjoyed it. I just loved the, the, all the gorges and that that were around and mm. I just loved the bushwalking and I loved exploring all of that and mm. yeah the, and I loved that there was there was a lot of community connection there which was really cool mm. you, you weren't part of the Todd River uh, Yacht Club were you? <laughs> no no <laughs> That's an interesting group of people. <laughs> yes, and I did see it. I did see it flow, so I was technically a local. Right. Well, you were. You are. I've never seen it flow, and I've been there a number of times. <laughs> it's, it's almost. It's almost as rare as getting into the American base there at Alice Springs to see yeah. the top of a flow. <laughs> so Very how, true. So, how old were you when you rocked up to Rockhampton with two kids? Um. Oh, yeah, 29, I think. Right, right. So what, Maybe I was younger. And what, do you think there's a life of drudgery ahead of you? Pardon? Did you oh. just think it was going to be a life of drudgery, you know, single parent, two kids, and yeah. having to work all the time? Yeah, pretty much thought it was going to to be that, but um, made it work and had to, had a few more kids and mm-hmm. then yeah, managed to work, done a bit more study and... One of my greatest, um, oh, I've got lot, lots of good things, but, you know, as the kids went through school and stuff, was they actually being able to be part of their school community. And so with the primary school here with my, well, all four went to the primary school there, all of the, all five actually. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
Um, they started a uh, like a community garden because I've been involved with community gardens around Rocky as well. But we started one at the school, and they supplied the tuck shop with stuff, with you know salad things and herbs and things like that. So the kids actually got to. You know, once a week the classes would come out and we would they'd have their own plot and we would do things and teach them about gardening and what to do with the food and that sort of thing and they they realised it went to the canteen and so the whole process was something that we sort of yeah be ahead it took me a long time to convince the, the parents and friends committee that it would be a good option and then once we got that started we ended up doing the um, the native garden out the front and so we got all native plants and then the elders came in and spoke to the kids about what the plants were for and all that that was cool that's unusual isn't it because what, what yeah. year what year was this that all this was going um, on this probably would be 10 years ago yeah it, it, in Rockhampton and lots of other parts of Australia, not just in many urbanist centres, obviously, the concept of a community garden would be seen as some type of radical activity, really. And, yeah. And, and getting the elders in to talk about the uh, native plants you put in, too, wouldn't be the type of thing that normally would happen, would it? No. Hmm. No. So how much but resistance did you get to doing this? It took, it took a lot of convincing initially. Mm. And then... Um, I had met a few people through the council and who, and also through the other community gardens I was involved with who put me in touch with some of the elders who then got us some tube stock of native plants under like an Indigenous umbrella thing. And then they... Yeah, so, so it, was, it just came together just beautifully in the end. Mm-hmm. But to get there was quite a process. Did the... Your kids kind of be a bit embarrassed about their mum being around the school all the time? Um, <laughs> I'm sure they were, but like... Well, my kids that, were, my kids were, so, you know. Yeah, oh, I think they were probably more embarrassed Melbourne Cup Day when I used to dress up and with the hairnet, we would actually put lots of things on the hairnet and ride the brooms around the school and pretend we were in a horse race. Excuse, probably, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, you... This is a primary school. You've got yes. all these little tackers there and you're actually... You, you're, you're doing things to their mind. You're riding brooms. <laughs> so, it was so much fun and the kids would just shake their heads. Were they, <laughs> did they, were they bet on you? <laughs> right. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they made anything. They didn't share it, but that's for sure. Right. <laughs> How difficult is it to rear up five sons... In um, Rockhampton, difficult. It's very difficult. We had lots of issues that I, well, I suppose um, any anywhere there would be issues bringing mm-hmm. up children. But yep. in a regional centre, um, you don't really have a huge array of people to mix with. Mm-hmm. Your children are mixing with people that are not. Ideal. It's very difficult to. Hello. Hello. Yes, we're listening. We're listening. Oh, sorry. Um, we had um, um, you know issues with underage drinking and things right. and right. sneaking out when he, 
one was with their dad and things like that and mm. that kind of thing. But I kept them quite – I pushed really hard for them to be involved with sport right. so that they had an outlet and so they had their sports and their sports mates and things like that to try and keep them a bit occupied because right. my boys are very busy. And we always, like, on weekends we'd go bushwalking or we'd go camping or I'd take them – all kinds of do all kinds of things with them. Any any free activity that we could find, we went to. <laughs> yep. Well, it is difficult. It's exceptionally difficult. Were you were you um, looking after the kids yourself, or you had at that stage? Um, um, mostly myself. Mm. Um, the the father of the second two kids is wasn't hugely active so essentially for that entire time I was doing everything pretty much everything with the children on right, my own right. even though I was in a in a relationship yeah yep. but but um it, it, what, what's really really cool is now that the 22 and 21 year old boys they'll be like oh they'll come out with something like you know, what they're eating or how they're eating or how they're not wasting something or they've recycled something or they've done something. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've actually done something right. Thank goodness. Oh, look, <laughs> look, look, Fiona, you've done lots of things right. To rear five boys with minimal support, that's extraordinary because obviously you were you working part-time during this period? Or? Yes. Yeah. You, yeah. You, I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's very hard. So... You've done everything right, as far as I'm concerned, and you know. And if you get a tick from me, you can ask Kelly. That's very unusual. All right. <laughs> so, how have things been the last few years? Um, amazing. Like, oh, I'm very, very lucky. I've, uh, yeah, I live in a really nice sort of area, with the beach, with all that sort of stuff. My health right. has has had a few not, but... Um, hang on, hang on, hang on, your health. What's yeah. happened as far as your health is concerned? When did all this start? Um, so in 2019, I had some routine blood tests, you know, when you're over 40, you're yep. supposed to start looking after yourself a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, and my platelets and neutrophils were low, so we had, I had a heap, like, so many blood tests, so many tests trying to figure out why. Um couldn't figure out why, so I got referred to a haematologist. Um, had a bone marrow biopsy and was diagnosed with myelodysplasia syndrome in May 2020 over the phone. <laughs> over the phone? Oh, COVID-19. Lockdown. Yeah. Yep. Now explain to listeners about this syndrome. So it's, uh, it's basically bone marrow failure. It's a rare blood cancer and it affects... Either, either or, or all of the above, your platelets, red blood cells and neutrophils. Mm. So, yeah, the explanation I got was, uh, I said, what does that mean? Because I'd never heard of it. I've been nursing 30 years and mm. had never heard of it. And um, yeah, they said, oh, your bone marrow's knackered. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> bone, <righto." laughs> Your bone marrow's knackered. You were told that over the phone. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Right. So how, how has it affected you? Um, I, initially, I didn't even 
realised that it was cancer, like, for about four weeks. And I was a syndrome, there'll be treatment, there'll be this, there'll be that, yeah, cool, no worries. Waited for all the cytogenetics to come back to find out what subtype I had mm-hmm. because there's seven subtypes. And, um, yeah, so I've got multilineal dysplasia. So that means my white cells and my platelets are abnormal and low. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then after about four weeks, I said to Craig, Oh, I've just read that it's cancer. <laughs> oh. Nobody said anything to you. No, no one ever said it. It was always my dysplasia syndrome, and I was like, okay, cool, it's not cancer, cool, it's, it's something can be done, we can fix it. No, 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 you can't. <laughs> right. So when did, you, when did you hook up with Craig? Um... About seven, eight years ago. Right, sounds. Yeah. He seems seems a nice bloke. Yeah, he's all right. He he's goes all right. right. He's all right. Goes all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good bloke. <laughs> he seems a good bloke. Yeah. So how how did he handle this? Um. Really well. On the outside, really quite well. Like he's been very supportive of me mm. um, and my little roller coaster that I go on, but. Um, it's, I would say it would be a challenge for him, like, to see that I'm not, it's, I'm not the same person that I was, but then again, no one ever is. Then again, like, we first got together and I got attacked by a couple of dogs, so that changed things, and now I've got this, so that's changed things again. Mm. But um, after I got diagnosed, I've just got a purpose in life now, I've sort of got rid of a lot of the... The dead wood, I don't know why it takes getting cancer to actually shake things up. But, yeah, I'm doing a lot of awareness raising and I'm building mm. a little community and I'm doing lots of amazing things mm. since um, the diagnosis. So, yeah. So, was there any treatment available? There's, there is a... Um, I've been offered chemo... Um, so I went and got an opinion in Brisbane. Um, I was offered chemo, but the side effects and everything of that and the the outcome didn't make sense to me that I should put myself through that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no actual real cure at all um, unless it's a stem cell transplant. And even then, there's no guarantee because you can then get secondary MDS because of the chemo that you had prior to the the transplant mm-hmm. um, so yeah so and you know it can then if you don't have a stem cell transplant the risk of it turning to acute myeloid leukemia is you know high, high. so mm. it, yeah I don't try, tend not to really think about that too much and just try yeah you get on with what you're set doing li- set little goals <laughs> mm. so you said you're starting well, you got rid of the dead wood. What does that mean? You didn't kill a few bodies, people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Tempting as it is, no, joking. So not to, no. <laughs> Um No, I, what I've did is um, just sort of reassessed what I've, what, what's my purpose? Like, why am I here? And, uh, so, you know, I had people in my life and I was doing things that just didn't align with that, didn't make me feel good anymore bought too much 
stress and pain and that into my life and I thought, I don't need that. Like, everyone's on borrowed time. Like, everyone, no one knows what the next day is going to bring, so why am I letting all of these things and people affect me? Mm-hmm. And I kept having... Um, I, I It was really... It's been quite interesting because I've... Things I hadn't thought about for many, many, many years, like assaults and things like that, had been... I started having, like, flashbacks and nightmares and processing that in my sleep. Craig seems to think that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that I've let go of a lot of that now. So I, I don't have the weight of of all of that on my shoulders anymore. I know that they weren't my fault. I know I didn't ask for it. I know, you know, the dog's attacking me and ripping my face open and my legs and everything. That I, I was allowed to be out there going for a walk. That was not my fault either. So, mm. yeah, I realise now that none of it was my fault. So why carry it? Right. And, you, and um, well, maybe Craig's right. Maybe you have processed it. Why carry it? Yes. Exactly. Why carry it? Mm. That's the dead wood. And you said you're building up a little community. What do you mean by that? Um, I've, so in Australia, there's, it's not a very common disease. And so we're bu- I'm building up a little MDS community, with which I've actually got, you know, a handful of friends that I've become, you know, pretty close to. But we're also, um, Craig and I are also looking at getting a um, building, not building, buying a warehouse for a um, thing we want to start, which is um, Resilient Rock Cancer. And it's just a delayed disaster relief community group. And under that umbrella, autonomous group, artists, you know, musicians, any of that kind of thing. So build up like a community that way here. Mm-hmm. But that's in its infancy at the moment. But um, that's, that's one of the things, yeah. And you said you, you've you created this society for f- people, the fellow, fellow uh, travellers with this illness. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's, um, tell us about it and, and tell us the people involved. So this little um, little community that we've—it's just like a little, I guess, a support group from people around around Australia, because it is like it's really difficult. My closest friend and person who we got diagnosed at the same time, and um, she was in Australia, she was at the Gold Coast. We met up a few times, and you know, we spoke very regularly, and we were understood each other's appointments and blood tests and all of that kind of thing because it's quite heavy going trying to understand all of that and the process and everything like that and um and so she she passed away um Mm. at easter and since then i've really endeavored to try and be that for others as well to check in on people and to make sure that they don't feel alone and if they're unwell that they've got support and that kind of thing. Mm. So that's essentially like the little community that we're so, kind of building. So you're doing this through the net, are you? Or talk? Yeah, through, through online mm. because with, it, it's not common. So most like there's a few in um, 
Victoria, New South Wales, and one in Brisbane. So it's not that common to find people with it. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's one of those tragic situations where, um, you know, the doctor says, oh, this is very interesting. And as soon as you hear that word, you know you're stuffed, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, or you, or you go, like my last appointment, I went and he's like, oh, you know, what you have, living quite well at the moment. Like, I, I get very fatigued and I have pain a lot and everything, but I'm. I'm still able to function, yep. you know, and he said, just because you're still doing that doesn't mean that what you have is not serious because it is very serious. <laughs> <laughs> and, then it, and then he goes that, because um, you do realise that you're a ticking time bomb. <laughs> and I've gone, well, that's a hell of a way to tell me I'm the bomb. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a way better ways you could have put that. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> look, I, I look. I have to. I have to apologise on behalf of my fellow brethren in the medical field. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I for a long time I had a very unpleasant job in medicine. I had to tell people who'd be involved in accidents. They'd wake up and I'd say, "Oh, I'm sorry to tell you, you've broken your neck, and you're going to be a quadriplegic, and you can't uh. move your arms, and you can't move your legs." Oh. It is. It can't. No, it's not easy. You, you know, you're part of. You've been part of the system for about thirty years, and now you're on the other side of the system. And, you know, how does, <laughs> I'm uh, interested. Are you, are you willing to recount this dog attack? Because it just sounds terrible. Oh, yeah. It was. Um, was that about seven, seven, six, seven years ago? Now, um, I would. I used to go. Jogging in the morning, I used to be fit and that sort of stuff. So I would go for a morning jog at ridiculous o'clock before the kids were up. Mm-hmm. And because at that stage, Craig was still living in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And um, so I left the kids at home, went for a run, and for some reason just noticed there was someone's house with the door open. I thought, oh, right, I don't know why I'm noticing that. And then as I rounded the corner, there were two dogs that just started coming towards me, not really running, but just started coming towards me and I was going, oh, okay, this is not good. Fun. Mm-hmm. And then the bigger one, they actually then they started that awful growl, that growl that they get, and mm-hmm. one came around the side. I, I remember turning to run back to the house that I saw with the open door and one of the dogs had, I can't remember which happened first, whether the dog got, my one of them got the back of my leg and I stumbled a bit and then the other dog got up and got my face mm. and I remember the really bad impact of hitting my face and then I don't remember anything until I was this person's house mm. knocking on the door and, <laughs> and I just asked for some tissues because my mouth was bleeding. <laughs> I didn't realise that... Um, I had gaping holes all over my face and the back of both of my legs. Right. Those poor people. Yeah. But, yeah. They rang an ambulance, obviously. Yeah, they rang an ambulance, and I said, no, I'll be fine, because um, I'd left my kids at home by themselves. Right. So they sent their son around to my house to sit with them until someone could could come mm. and um, get them off to school, and my eldest had an exam that day. So that was pretty awful. <laughs> mm. 
And then um, I, I remember in the back of the ambulance, I rang my boss and said, oh, I won't be in today, I'm just getting some stitches and I'll be back to work on Friday because it was a Wednesday. And the ambulance officer just looked at me as if I was crazy. And then I remember ringing Craig and said the same thing, just going in to um, have a couple of stitches, I think, because mm. I've hurt my face. And then I, yeah, they wanted to send me to Brisbane for plastic surgery. I said no, so I went to the private hospital with a surgeon that I know did know does good scars. Mm -hmm. So he took me into theatre that afternoon, and when I came out of theatre, my kids and Craig were there. So he'd gone to the airport, jumped on a plane, and got up here before I even got out of surgery. So mm -hmm. that was pretty mm -hmm. amazing, mm -hmm. but scary. <laughs> I mean, you're right, you're right. You don't know what's around the corner. You just don't know in life. And it's obviously um, much harder when you're looking after kids by yourself because if something happens, there's nobody there. Yeah, it was. that was the worst bit. And my seven-year-old, who was seven at the time, he, um, he wanted to come with me that morning. Mm. And I said no, and I'm so grateful. Yes. But I said no that time. You never know what could have happened. Mm. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a very 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 nasty question. <laughs> yeah, Kelly's just looking at me. She said, "Joe, <laughs> don't don't even think about it." No, it's very look. I'm gonna ask you something because I, you know, you're a fighter. What are your plans for the future? My plan for the future. Mm. Well, you got the you got you got the warehouse that's just kind yep. of embryonic. Yeah. Yep. Another embryonic venture, um, which. We're kind of calling it Voices of Capricornia, which is a community vehicle to vet and and fund independent candidates. I've hang just on, hang on, hang on. I like this. I stood as an independent candidate with no luck in Victoria many times. So, <laughs> so the Voice of Capricornia. Yeah, Voices of Capricornia. The Voices yeah. of Capricornia. Now, where did this idea come from? We actually listened to a podcast that had done something similar in. Sydney, mm -hmm. and um, we thought that would be a really cool idea just to shake things up a bit, right. and 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 let you know everyday people have a voice, have mm. a say, and see what happens. Right. So you're going to stand as a candidate at the federal election? Me? No. I'm happy to be a supporter, mm -hmm. but it won't be me. <laughs> right. What type of things do you think should change? Oh. Oh, gosh, where do you Well, oh, well you've, got, you've got tons of time. Start at the beginning. <laughs> um, well, I do, um, part of my current work that I do at the moment is I do some activism for Healthy Futures, which is an, an organisation based in Victoria, mm -hmm. but it's um, health workers um, or anyone really in healthcare that want to protect the climate. So, you know, we're looking... Up here, we're looking for a reduction in fossil fuels to reduce health impacts like the coal-fired um, power plants and basically the no more mines or anything like that. And mm. how, how, many, that. how many rocks have gone through your window? It's Rockhampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very slow process mm. and I have to tread very gently up here. Yeah. With that, because you you mention anything like that, and you just try and take away jobs, and they get really angry because they're earning lots of money to work in coal mines, and mm. they think that that 
they don't look at the big picture, that there is still jobs out there. There are still things that they can do if it's done properly. If you can transition it carefully and well, you know, no one's going to lose their job. There's going to be other things that they can do. Yeah, Not the same thing. I don't think people realise, I mean, a lot of people, especially in the urban areas, don't actually realise who want you know, climate emergency to be addressed that the people like you who live in those areas who, you know, want to do the same things, you're actually in a very difficult physical situation, really, in those, situ- those places. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is. But it's you know, got no to be done. No, no. no, and what else? What else? Um, so, yeah, so that sort of aligns with, um, with, with my current job. But I also think... Current like, job? Current job? What current job? So I have, well, I have two jobs. One is the health, uh, I do eight hours a week of, um, for Healthy Futures, which is an affiliate of FOE, Friends of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, um, I go to people's homes and I work in a clinic doing lymphatic drainage and that kind of thing for um, patients, which I really love because... They're not just numbers, like in a public health system, unfortunately, happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm loving that. And they're, so they're, they're, they're sort of um, my two paid jobs at the moment. Um, so, uh, hang on, hang on. Look, I'm, I'm getting confused here. Mm-hmm. You've got this rare, potentially fatal blood disorder. You've got five sons. Mm-hmm. You're doing all this climate emergency work. Mm-hmm. You're doing two jobs. Mm-hmm. What else are you doing? <laughs> no, um, that's not <laughs> enough. That's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I do a lot of raising awareness for MDS because, like, when I first got diagnosed, I felt so isolated and so alone because nobody knew anything about it. Right. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that, and actually, um, the MDS. Are, Foundation in the US awarded me a um, courage award for this year, which nice. um, yeah, so that's pretty cool um, because of all the work I've done raising awareness and everything. So I had to do a video and all mm. of that sort of stuff for them. Mm. Um, so I do that, and I've also just um, scored myself a um, scholarship to do NLP training and coaching. I can develop um, an online resource for people, survivors of domestic violence and their families, mm-hmm. so that they can try and, um, if they're feeling really alone, like, tools to help reduce the overwhelming feelings that you get when you first leave, and you know things to to do with your children if there are children involved and how to reconnect with yourself because you lose yourself when you're in those situations so that then you can be the strongest that you can be so you can then try and break that cycle for the children and the, the children have also don't get into that cycle either. Mm. So, yeah. So, so obviously you don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do sleep on the couch a lot apparently if you ask Craig. <laughs> I won't ask about the domestic situation. <laughs> he should be sleeping. No. On, he should be sleeping on the couch, not you. <laughs> no, no, I fall asleep on the couch in that I'll be down and watch TV, and then that's the end of me. That's I don't end see of, the end of the show. <laughs> so, oh, that's fair enough. Look, that's that's an extraordinary, um, 
that's an extraordinary load. Obviously, you're making a huge contribution to a lot of people. Do you sometimes think that it's um, not worth the effort? No. No, that's excellent. Yeah, because I was talking to another radio program today about cynicism and disillusionment. That's what you know people in authority want you to be. That way it can be manipulated. And obviously it's wonderful to be able to speak to somebody like you. And I must thank Craig for you know putting us in contact with you. Yep. But because obviously you're... Theoretically, you should be lying, lying in bed waiting to die, but you're not waiting to die. You're just basically pushing things aside and actually getting on with your life. Yeah, which is pretty much like uh, there are days where it's a real struggle. Like my, you know, the deep bone pain and stuff can be quite significant. Mm. And there are some days like when you realise that someone that you've been in contact with has passed away and. They're, they're pretty shitty days, but, um, mm. you know, overall, I, I do have, um, I have great kids, I have great family, I have some good friends. I live across from the river, I've got a beautiful look. Um, yeah. Mm. I mean, no, Very fortunate. Well, you should have got more than a gold medal, you should have got a platinum award, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, I... I'm, you know, it's people, I think what your life demonstrates is that although you may have some type of medical issue, which can even be, which is fatal, that you can still get on with your life, you know? As you said, yeah. you've got children to look after, you've got, you've got a partner you've got to deal with, you've got work, and, and on top of that, we've got COVID-19, just to throw that in to make your life a little bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah, so we actually, um, that's, been a bit of a worry, but I've I've, I've been and had my jabs and right. had to wait until my bloods were in the right, right. spot, and then yeah. I went yeah. and did it. So, which jab did you get? Pfizer. Pfizer, right? You've had both, yeah. or just one now? I've had both. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, you, that, that's that's helpful for you and uh, the patients you see, obviously. Oh, correct. Because a lot of them are compromised as well, or elderly, or frail, or all of the above. Yeah. 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 It's hard to comprehend people who are against the injection sometimes. Very hard to comprehend. And, and yeah. I mean, you're in a situation where, you know, you'd be excused for not having the protection, but you went ahead and had it. So, yeah, and and, and, the, and my, the whole family have done it too. So, right. um, or the kids have had their first one. Mm. Um, because uh, my haematologist has said that they're my first, wall of defence so I have mine then mm. they're vaccinated they're less likely they can still get it obviously but they're less likely to and that's my first wall of defence against everybody else so right, right. yeah look Fiona it's been a pleasure talking to you but more importantly what's important is I think the hope that you uh, give to other people because you never know who's listening and how, how you affect them and I must thank Craig uh, profusely for uh, putting you up because you're not the type of person who likes to blow your own trumpet obviously no. uh, unlike me <laughs> uh, unlike me and Craig you know <laughs> Ke- Ke- Kelly's the same as you she's one of these you know hard working people who does lots of things look I'm going to do something I have never done on this program over the years I'm going to nominate you for uh, a Eureka Australia medal and uh, if you leave if you leave your uh, email with 
Kelly. I will tell you all about it. Uh, but uh, I think uh, you're a very, very, very worthy recipient. And I must congratulate you on the attitude you've taken to life. And I'm proud to live in the same country as you you do. Oh, well, thank you. You look after yourself. and you thank you. Look after all those men in that house. <laughs> I will. They're pretty amazing. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.